0: All right. I'm sitting here today with Jessica Jefferson. Jessica, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself and tell us your educational background?
1: Sure. So my name is Jessica Jefferson. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist. Um, I have a master's in family counseling, as well as a master's in psychology of of education. Um, Not only that, I own my own private practice, as well as manage a Facebook group for uh, Florida registered interns, um, just to kind of help them navigate the process from students to license. That's awesome, and thank
0: you so much for being here, Jessica. I'm, I'm glad we were able to find each other online, and you've uh, yeah. been pretty open about you know the opportunity of coming on a show and speaking and
1: mm-hmm.
0: sharing your experience with other students. I, I feel like a lot of us psych majors, you know, therapists, counselors, we always felt this need to to, to find deeper connection and help people even further. Like you created. The, the Facebook group for mm-hmm. people in Florida, for 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 people that are going through the process of licensure, right? Right. And here I am now doing a podcast. I feel like that's like <laughs> in our blood somehow. So tell us about that. What, what, do you feel like that's something that's common uh, for us in, in our field?
1: What made um, you do I, it? <laughs> the, the reason why I created the Facebook group was because, and it's still something that I struggle with getting on my soapbox with today is there's just not a lot of information about the journey from becoming a student to a registered intern to becoming licensed. I think that we go into the field with the, like the greatest intentions of helping people, but no one really teaches you kind of the nitty gritty that happens in between. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I created the Facebook group was because no one tells you the things and there's not a lot of information on how to get things done and everyone has their own answer. So I just kind of wanted to create like a simple, quick way for people to ask their questions and to get answers that they're looking for.
0: That's awesome. Yeah. I love that. It's that finding connection and uh, helping people it's, it's in our blood for, for sure. And I agree. It's like, we know we're supposed to help. We, we know there's all these things to do, but <laughs> we're kind of on our own a lot of the times and right. and it's just so hard. And, you know, it's great that we have people like yourself out there that want to do, you know, go a step further and to help others, especially others in the field. So thank you for doing that. How's that journey been going for you? When did you start? What is it that, um, that you've learned from, from hosting this, this group?
1: Um, so I, My registered intern process started in 2014. I didn't do the group, I think until 2015, 2016, um, because I started to see people came to me for answers to their questions and it was like a lot. And I figured instead of it just being like a thing, of phone tag to just putting it all in one place uh, because it is very confusing. And I've always been the type of person to always, if I don't know the answer to a question, I'm going to go to another person and find the answer for them. So it's been a struggle for me in my own registered intern journey. It's been a long time. I think it took me about six years to become licensed. Um, And with all the changes that happened between when I first became registered to all now the rules that have happened, it's just it's very confusing to kind of keep up to date with those things. So it's just... I, it's been a, a a nice experience to connect with people. I don't really meet everyone, but I just know people just based on the group, which has always been nice, you know. So yeah. it's been a journey.
0: <laughs> nice, that's good. And, and you talked about your your process through through getting licensed. You said it took six years. Well, yeah. what, what what made it take that long? Is it personal life events, or is it just hard to to get it?
1: <laughs> um. So. So I, have, I guess I have to go back a little bit. So when I got my first master's, uh, the psychology and education, I kind of left that program not sure where to go next. And I was mm. kind, it took me like, I think a year or two to kind of really be like, what am I doing? Like I, when I got this master's, I have the student loans to prove it, but I'm not doing anything in relation to the field. So I really just had to sit down and think, okay, what is it that I want to do? Like, what's my vision and how I want to help people? So that's when I decided to go to NOVA at the family and therapy program um, because I've never heard of marriage and family therapy. It wasn't something that I knew. I was more of a psychoanalytic background. You know, the psychologist field, you know, systemic thinking wasn't something that they teach you. Um, But after reading kind of the description, I knew that that's what I wanted to do. Um, But I'm also like, I was married. I, my husband's like, I want to have kids. We want to, like, and I wanted to do those things, but I was like, I also want to like fulfill my career. So I go through the program. Um, when I graduated, I was six months pregnant with my son. And had anyone asked me about like what I wanted to do, I would have told you, Oh, I wanted to work with the VA. I want to help you know, veterans. I, I come from a military background. Like that was my thing. But now journeying into being pregnant, I'm like, I can't do in home. Like I cannot be driving all around Broward County in strangers' homes when I'm pregnant. I'm uncomfortable. I was still having morning sickness. So it was like, what am I gonna do? So I decided to do private practice, which I never, ever wanted to do, but it was just what was gonna work for me at the time. So I did private practice. I was building my business, had my son, Then I launched my business and then I lost a job that I had. So it's like, crap, I have no job, a new baby. My husband's a high school teacher. We all know they don't get paid very well. And I was like, I need to find work. I need to find something. But I needed something that was going to work for my schedule because I wanted to be home with my son. So it was a struggle because I couldn't find a job because I was either underqualified because I was a registered intern. I was overqualified because I had two master's degrees. So it was a very frustrating experience. It took me a year to finally start gaining client hours. So I, I was already behind a year from everyone else. And that's when I really just decided to kind of devote myself to my private practice, which does take longer for registered interns to gain those client hours, which is one of the reasons why it took me so long plus I had another kid. Um, it took me a long time to get the client hours that I needed and to really feel like, you know, this was the right path for me. So yeah, it just took me a long time.
0: Yeah. Hey, life gets yeah. in the way sometimes it's not, and that's not a bad thing. You, you, you got right. your kids, you started building your family and, and that's amazing. So I, I can definitely uh, understand the amount of pressure that you, that you were on and just, trying to put everything together and now that right. you say that like I, I really love what you said about like I was either overqualified for having two masters or mm-hmm. I was not qualified enough because I was still a registered intern so would you say it was all like it was just much harder to find a job without being a licensed provider then
1: it was because I think you know you have like they want you to have experience but you can't have experience unless you start working Um, so yeah, it was very hard because I think people want someone who's, and granted the places I applied to, like looking back at them were in places of desperation, which I'm so glad I did not join. Um, but it's kind of like, well, I, I want, I have the experience. I know my clinical skills, I can do it, but no one wants to place, no one wants to have faith in you, but then yet when you join the job, they wanna place your license license at risk. So it's just kind of like, this field is very dirty at times and it's very annoying. Um, but then my my second master's or my, really my first master's is not, again, it's very psychoanalytic, it's not mm-hmm. systemic. So it's a very different approach. So to say that I was overqualified because of it, it was just, it was kind of, it's very frustrating. Let's just, yeah. let's just say that it was very frustrating. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: Definitely. I could I could see how that could be <laughs> very frustrating, especially yeah. when you have to manage being a mom <laughs> doing all of that at all the same time.
1: Yeah, it was it was not fun, um, yeah. but I'm, I'm glad it got me to this point. I love my practice where it is. I, I feel like I this is where I need it to be. So going through that journey was definitely kind of worth it for me because of where I'm at now.
0: Got it. And, and what kind of jobs? It's, it's interesting. And, and I, I, I must let everyone know that, of course, every state has different regulations and things like that, uh, you know, for and of course, your, your certification itself also might be different, depending if, if, you know, if you're a family, a family and marriage therapist comparing to mm-hmm. a counselor. Uh, but what kind of jobs are available for those that are not licensed or are still registered interns?
1: Um, So the more common ones, um, especially here in Florida, are usually like substance abuse facilities um, or in-home agency work. Those are usually tend to be the most common. Um, However, there are other options that are not necessarily talked about. You can work in a school. Those are potential options. You can work in a private practice, even though I know licensed professionals like have so much disdain for it. I would love for the VA to open up opportunities. It's not there quite yet, but it would be a nice option. Um, those are usually the more common ones that I've seen, usually substance abuse in, in home agencies are usually the more common ones.
0: Got it. And I, since you bring up private practice, I have to ask because that is like my ultimate goal. <laughs> mm-hmm. And I'm sure other students that listen to the show as well, what that's what they think and what they want. So mm-hmm when you say you can work in private practice as you know, a registered intern, can you have your own private practice or work with someone else? How does that work? Cause I, cause Ugh. when I think about it, I think it's like, and correct me if I'm wrong, is, is it like I can have my own private practice as long as I have a supervisor but it's not present, so how does that work? And again, it might be different in every state. But
1: <laughs> yeah, every state is different. So I'm just going to speak to obviously the rules for for Florida. So for registered interns, you can have either your own business as a private practice. You need to have a licensed professional on site, or you can join a group private practice. You still need to have the licensed professional on site as well. Mm. But Here's, here's the way that I kind of differentiate the two. So I own my private practice. It is my business. I own the branding. I own the messaging. It is my business. So I have full and complete control over everything in my business because I'm a control freak. Um, <laughs> but you also have the option of joining a group practice where everything that you do is kind of under their umbrella. Um, you still have kind of control over your school for most practices over the type of clients that you see in your schedule, but everything is kind of incorporated under their brand and their business. So it mm. really depends on you. It is a lot harder t- for it to be your own private practice because then marketing is all on you. Like you have to like hustle and do what you need to do to, to market your business. Whereas a group practice that's already rolling. So mm. you're gonna get more opportunities and potentially more client flow because someone else is already doing that for you. So it just really depends on what you want to do. And you're not stuck. So like if you do the group practice and down the line, you can do your own. So it's not like you have to choose one and stick to it. You can transition however you see fit.
0: Okay,
1: that's good to yeah. know.
0: And so important to know, because I, I I know for a fact that that's where I want to be. And I always yeah. wonder, hey, how quickly can I start there? You know, can you actually start, I mean, private practice? like doing your, with your practicum and internships and how would would you even
1: recommend that from your perspective? What do you think about that? When you say practicum and internship, are you saying in school? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you can start building your business, start working on your website and all of those things. I would say, obviously you can't start gaining clients. Well, you can, I'm going to be very specific and very careful. (laughs) Obviously you want to count your hours, right? The only way that you can count your hours is to be a registered intern. So I would say build up your business plan, build your business, get your website together, register to be a registered intern, get approved and then start seeing clients so you can count those hours. So you can start the process in school. And if your school has a class where it talks about private practice, definitely take that. Um, so you can start the ball the, the ball rolling and get that process started, but I wouldn't necessarily start seeing clients until you are registered so that you can count those hours.
0: Got it. Yeah, that makes sense. That's what I've imagined. So, um, mm-hmm. and as far as licenses, of course, um, it, it was more, it was challenging for you because you had, you, you said it took a few years, you had things on the way, but right you have to obtain your hours and, you know, before you can even do the exam, right? Isn't that correct?
1: Depends on the designation. So for um, MFTs, you can take it as soon as, well, you can take it at any point, Um, but yeah, you can start it right then and there. Um, I decided stupidly to wait, um, but luckily I was one and done. Um, Believe with social workers, you do have to wait and that's a relatively new goal. I don't know if it's been enforced, but I know that there were rumors surrounding it. Um, for MHCs, I do believe you can take it at any time as well.
0: Mm, okay, and then we have—I don't know if you saw, but I know they're—they're they're all trying to—to to get the compact licenses for counseling. Uh, for, for counseling. And I think Florida just signed as well. We need 10 States. And I think Florida is like the seventh state or something. Did you see, are you. I did see that. that, And
1: I have to be surprised if that is true. I would have never thought Florida would be one of those States to do it, but (laughs) if it's the, if it happens, that's great. Um, I think COVID has kind of opened up conversations about accessibility for, Mm. for people across states, especially because people have been moving around a lot because of COVID so it, as sucky as COVID has been, I think it has done positive things in terms of mental health. It's kind of destigmatized mm. mental health. It's allowed people to like really, it's an very unfortunate pandemic. A lot of things, a lot of negative things came out of it. But I think in terms of mental health, there has been positivity with people being more open to seeking help it allowed uh, therapy to be more accessible to people. And I think one of the bigger issues was that kind of um, not being able to provide services to people across state lines, especially as like clients that you have seen for such a long time had to move and transition. You wanted to ensure continuity of care and not being able to do that because they move, you know, creates, creates struggles, not only for the clients, but for the therapists themselves. So I think there has been some positive things um, with COVID.
0: Yeah, so, I'm hoping yeah, we get more. I'm hoping more states sign into it, you know, It'd so nice. we can actually so we can actually get this approved and and, and actually moving to be more to, to have this compact licenses so we can practice in other states. Because even considering with b- before COVID, right, let's just imagine someone like we have a lot of people in my area here in Naples. Mm -hmm. That they don't live here full time. They live up north. Yeah. Snowbirds. Yeah. What what happens when like a client lives in New York and then they come here for six months? Like how how did we treat that before? How was that before?
1: Um, oftentimes a lot of therapists, and I mean they still do it now, they just get licensed in those states. Um, you know, being from Florida, obviously, New York, New Jersey licensure is very um like beneficial (laughs) because that's mostly where people come from. Um, so most therapists would just get licensed in multiple States in order to see those clients. Um, I guess that's just how they did it before, or otherwise they just wouldn't see them for six months. I can't speak to that, but that's just my assumption. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That is so interesting because like I work in a, in the healthcare recruiting right now and recruit Mm -hmm. nurses and, and physicians to different, Places throughout the country, and there is most most of the time there they have to obtain different licenses for different states. And while I understand, you know that every state has their own regulation. Every every mm. state is is different, and you know outside of healthcare, there's other things right. that are legal in states, and some states there are not. You know, but as with this, like I just I just it is mind boggling to me that. Like a provider that is trained to, and sometimes goes to a different school and outside of their state,
1: mm-hmm.
0: they they have to be licensed in all these different states instead of just having one license for the country. You know,
1: <laughs> as we all know, there's so many barriers to healthcare that just make no logical sense. Um, and and to go back to your other question, because something did pop in my head. Um, that's why a lot of therapists, I think, are transitioning more to life coaching. You know, and relinquishing their license because there's just, it just opens up the door a lot easier than you know the barriers that get placed in our profession. So I just reminded me when you said that. Um, but yeah,
0: yeah, I've the, seen a lot know. of people talk about that actually, about life coaching, just transitioning to that, or maybe providing both services. So that's something ever crossed your mind?
1: <laughs> um. So okay. So I'm. I know, like, I sit on board meetings and things like that. I have heard the board specifically talk against that because of the fact that life coaching does not have any specific compliance or ethical codes or anything like that. And I think the mindset that you can just provide life coaching as an alternative to therapy, you have to understand you are a therapist first. So regardless of the services that you provide, you are still held to the legal standards of being a therapist. So it's very like muddled water. It's not necessarily in terms of like, it's, it's not something I would do and I, it's not something that I would recommend more power to people that do that, but it's just, you're still held to those standards. So why just, why put yourself at risk for it?
0: Yeah, so true. And (laughs) it's just interesting to me, uh, of the, the, the kind of things that people think about doing just because again, that's like you said, maybe they thought about that because, Getting helping people outside of Florida or outside of their own state was just right. not possible. Now they're like, "Oh, how do how can we open up our services to other I other just, people?" Y- you know, y-
1: you also have to think about the message that it sends to clients. It's like by doing like again, this is a big soapbox for me, so I do apologize for the tangent. Um, <laughs> you are placing you are like downgrading your education, you're downgrading the work of other therapists by going to life coaching. Why do that to an already stigmatized field instead of enhancing, you know, the the message of seeking therapy from a licensed professional who knows and who's trained in those things, versus subjecting yourself to someone who doesn't have as equal training to you. Um, Mm. I'll leave it at that, because I can go on a a 50 minute rant on this, but I'll yeah. just leave it there. <laughs> you know yeah, I mean?
0: yeah. I can see you're passionate about it. And I don't blame you because I, I, I can see what you're saying. You, you've had that standard before you went to school for it. So you have that mm-hmm. ideology of what it means to be a therapist in the back of your mind. So if you sit, right. switch to something else, it's just like, okay, how do you di- differentiate if, who you are now? How are you actually being different? <laughs> you know?
1: So I, I can yeah. understand
0: the frustration. <laughs>
1: Yeah. I have, I have just two soap boxes and that's one of them. So yeah. <laughs> oh man. I opened it. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. I opened the box to, to, to what triggers you. Huh?
1: <laughs> yeah. It's, it's a common joke with my husband. He'll just like say some random thing about life coaching. I am like, okay, I'm, I'm stepping away from this conversation. <laughs> Cause I will, it's just not, I don't want to be there. Yeah.
0: I completely understand. and And that's the, the, but I love about the show is just learning from different people, different perspectives. So I appreciate you you talking about it briefly and explaining how you feel about it. So, and I do want to jump into, to your career. Now you've said you've been working, uh, of course, you have a master's in marriage and family therapy, like you said, but before mm-hmm. that you had your psych education masters as well. And throughout the process of you obtaining the licenses, you know, you, you you've, you've had your your personal life to take care of as well mm-hmm. but uh when when did you actually obtain that license how how long ago was it
1: so i got my license um i can't remember if it was april or may of 2020 and i have to tell you when covid hit oh, i was <laughs> like like i i thought my world was ending because as as you can tell you know clients were leaving because they they were like in a panic they didn't want to be around other people and i was like i'm going to lose my business and not only on top of that if i wanted to see clients i didn't know if other licensed professionals were going to be on site to see clients yeah. and then initially the board had come up with this whole rule that you can't take on new clients unless you have an established relationship and i'm like so i can't see clients that i have i can't take on new clients for the clients that i that i lost like my business, I was like, I'm gonna be out of business in like three weeks. I was like losing my mind. Um, luckily I was able to sustain the board kind of changed their their mindset on the whole new client thing. And I was able to like recover um and finish because I was like 98% there. And I'm like, it took me six years to get here, like, like right please, at the finish yeah. line. <laughs> I need to finish this. So um I, yeah, so I got licensed April, May 2020. Um, and it was, it's just been like, I, nothing's to be quite honest, nothing's really changed for me. Um, other than obviously I don't have to like worry about other people's schedules to see clients. Um, but everything's, it's just, it, it, it is a lot easier to work in private practice without having that, um, that role on top of you.
0: Yeah. Did you go into yeah. private practice right after your license then?
1: No, I so right into registered internship. I yeah, yeah, right yeah. I'm, private I'm sorry. Yeah. Yes. You mentioned, okay. So you
0: just maintain you just keep you just maintain that. Okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. So it's, it's not easy. Um, but it's it's definitely the best decision I could have made for myself.
0: Okay. That's great. Yeah. And, and that exam, can we talk about that for a second? Cause I feel like everyone thinks about it from the moment they start school. I'm like, Oh man, I have to think <laughs> I have to take yeah. this licensary exam. So, and I know there's a couple of different ones out there. Uh, which one did you take and how was the, how was
1: the exam? So for me, I took the MFT cause that's my designation. Um, I have to say that there's a I was one and done. And I was so glad and happy that I did that. Um, But I, I kind of regret the fact that I took, let's see. So I registered in 2014 and then I took my exam in 2018. So I took four years to wait and to take my exam. And I just got to a point where I was like, I have to do it. Like I was pregnant with my daughter. I'm like, if I don't do this now, once I have my second kid, I'm not going to have the time to do this. So I did it. And then it's kind of one of those things where it's like, you know what you know. You know what I mean? Like, you have to be confident that you already know all of these things. And if you if you don't pass, at least then you have a direction and where you need to study and focus on more. So it, it's a good and a bad thing to just get it done and over with so that you know where to focus on. So I kind of regret taking so long to take it because I could have just been done and over with it and not worried about it. Um, I think especially now with the, the rules changing about, um, expiration dates, I do think that it would be beneficial for an intern to just take it and get that over with since that is such like a, like a thing for the board that you need to have your, your exam done. So I would always recommend to do it right out the box.
0: Got it. Yeah. And, and like, I love what you just said there is that sometimes taking it and sure, even if you don't pass it, right. Mm -hmm. At least, you know what you need to study on and what you need to focus on next time. So right. I love I love that you say that because I feel like a lot of us sometimes maybe we hesitate or we feel nervous. How am I ready for this? Yeah, maybe I should spend a couple more times practicing it and studying the with the questions and things like that. So, but really, sometimes like you you've already know a lot of the information, and only mm-hmm. when you actually go and do it, when you see what's on the exam and how you feel about it, and sure, maybe you pass it first time. Congrats to you if you do. <laughs> yeah. But, and, but then if you don't, at least you, you know, it's just your first attempting learning. That's how I always like to look at the word fail. Yeah. It's just first attempting learning. And, and now you can like put your focus into what you actually need to learn. And so you can do it better the next time. So,
1: yeah. And I also think there's a, this misconception that you need to like, be studying at every moment of the day. And I think that recognizing that your brain needs breathing space, you can't Mm. just always be focused on the exam, because then it's just so much pressure that you're putting on yourself, that you're not able to like process information as much as you want. So allowing yourself to have those breaks and not being so hard on yourself, at least Mm. that's what helped me, um, I think would be helpful for other interns.
0: Yeah, Definitely. You know what? What I also I feel like this pressure starts early on in school. We've and I talk about this with a lot of different people because a lot mm-hmm. of people that are on the show, because I do love to to get their perspective on it because I do feel like this pressure of like learning all of these different things, you know, start in school and then we just like mm-hmm. feel like oh man, like. <laughs> Like how do I how am I gonna remember all of these different theories and different uh, you know approaches to which one's best for which client? What what diagnosis is this? You know <laughs> like I feel like we get all this pressure early on. So what do you what do you say to those students that feel this pressure early on, having to remember all of this stuff for their exams and for their licenses in the future?
1: Right. So, I mean, I think obviously you have to know it for the exam. I'm not going to discredit that because the exam is going to throw a bunch of random things at you. But I think in terms of being a good therapist, you have to find the model and theory and approach that works for you, because that's ultimately what's going to help you become the best therapist and become more specialized in your field. So having to remember all of these different theories and like how to apply it with the client, sometimes it's better to just hone it down to what you know best. That way you can be more direct and focused with your clients. Um, mm. That's how I approach things. Um, you know, it, it just makes it, I, I like basic stuff I think because that allows me to connect more with my clients. So I'm not so much in my head because it's not about me. It's about them. So by simplifying my approach, I'm allowed to be more present with my clients. It's just my thought.
0: Yeah. I like yeah. that. Yeah. I feel like I'll be the same way. It's just like, there's sure, there's so many different <laughs> things yeah. out there, but it's like the connection is what's important for me when I'm looking for a counselor, when I'm, you know, in therapy myself, it's like, that's what I need. That's what I want. Right. So I, I feel like that's exactly the kind of therapist I'll be as well. So, and you know what, sometimes if I have to dig into the books to find an answer for something, then, then I'll dig into the books then, you know, but just kind of be focused in the
1: moment with the client. Yeah. and. It- and then you get into this whole thing about diagnosing it. I mean, yes, in some facilities facilities you might need to, but in others you don't necessarily need to diagnose. So again, it's really up to you. um, And obviously where you're working, but I think it's just being more uh, authentic with clients is going to be better than feeling like you need to know every single theory.
0: Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. What would you say is your best approach? Well, how do you like, besides the connection with that you have with, with, uh, with your clients, what kind of approaches do you prefer using? In um,
1: So the theories that I use are um, solution focused and, and the way that I explain it, because I, I do get a lot of this question with clients who call is, I like solution focused because it just brings things down to reality and what's working, you know, instead of focusing on the negative and things like that, which we do get into, I'm not denying that. I want to focus on what makes you the best and really kind of bring that out more in my clients. So I like to bring things to be more casual. I like things to be easy for my clients to apply, you know, approaches that I can easily speak with them about and they can understand versus talking to them about car compartmentalizing and things like that, like, they're not going to get it. So I like things to be simple, because I think they feel like they're talking to a person. And I think they're more open to to open up about things, versus like, if it feels cold and disconnected. Um, mm. Not to say that other theories are that it's just, that's just my approach on what how I work on things.
0: Yeah. And yeah. I, I personally do like um, a solution based therapy as well, because I feel like every time it ends, like I I have at least something to go home and work on. Like I have some kind of solution, you know? Yeah. And I like, I kind of like that idea. It's, it's, you know, instead of like having to build up into something, oh, oh, let's find out the deeper meaning of your issues. Like let's just work on what's here and what's now. And let's try to find you a solution for it.
1: Yeah, exactly. I think that makes uh, therapy to seem less daunting, less Freudian which I think people have this misconception that you're like laying on a couch and going back through your childhood traumas, which for some <laughs> people, yes, but not for not for, you know, the majority of people.
0: Yeah, we're not for everything, you know, like, sure, there's stuff and we're not discrediting people's traumas and things like that. You know, I, I know that's not our intention here. But like, there's not everything not your your daily stressors at work, it could just be based on a solution that you need right now. You don't need to talk about anything deeper than that, you know, or your, your stresses within your family or your kids or things like that, you know?
1: Yeah. I think the, the reason why I like this approach is because I think that my, my theory is at certain points in someone's life, they're going to need therapy and it's not because they have like a bigger issue at hand. It's just because maybe in that time and span in their lives, they could just use a little bit of assistance, so just making it seem more like an everyday thing that people do, just as you go to the doctor, just as you get like your car maintenance, it's it's just kind of that approach of, we're just focusing on what's happening right now. If obviously you're dealing with things for quite a long time, then yes, we'll have to delve deep into the past and kind of work on what patterns are happening. But if I just have a client who's just having a rough time for the last few months, I just kind of want to focus on what's happening presently. So
0: Yeah. yeah. And I know this question is going to sound really simple, but solution-based therapy, I mean, the name itself is very easy to understand what it is, but for those students out there that don't know much about it, what are some of the basic skills, would you say, of solution-based therapy?
1: So solution-based therapy is really kind of uh, looking at the client and figuring out when are there moments when their problem is not happening? What's different for them in those moments? And how can we continue to repeat those things so that they feel like it's not always problem-oriented, that they're more focusing on the solutions and when things are not existing for them. It's about pulling out the positives, whether that's their resources, whether that's the habits that they're doing, whether that's the people in, in their surroundings. It's really just focusing on strength versus talking about the negativity and their weaknesses that's the base. I I think that's it to the core.
0: Yeah. I love that. I actually never thought about it that way. as like finding the, what's like uh, the, the, the moments where they're not having those issues. That's, that's, that's so key. So important. I I love that. And and so you've been practicing, is that like, how, how do you approach and decide? Like this is the kind of client that I'm going to do this kind of approach. This is the kind of client I'm going to do that.
1: Um, that's uh, a good question. I think, I think for, I have like a basic foundation for all of my clients where I utilize solution focus. I do incorporate a little bit of CBT, um, as well as Gottman interventions. So I, those are usually the foundations that I work with, but it's really dependent on what the client is bringing to me in the moment, um, so it's really hard for me to say because I do basic client to client and session mm-hmm. to session. Um, so I don't know if I can answer that.
0: <laughs> it's, it's a hard question. I, yeah, yeah. And every client is so different. It's like, I feel like I asked that because like, I, I think that myself included and other students are probably in that, in that moment over there. Okay. I, I build the connection with the mm-hmm. client, but like, where do I go from here? What approach should I take? I, I sometimes I think we don't even have to think about that, just focus on the connection itself and the connection right. only. Cause sometimes that's all they need. Uh, I feel like that's what I need, but again, I'm I'm not every client in the world, you know? So
1: um
0: so, so that's why I ap- asked that.
1: Yeah. So my approach is um I take a one-down approach where I'm not I'm not the professional in in my client's life. They are the expert. They know what's going on with their lives. They're really just here to tell me a story. And I'm really just trying to guide and navigate the story to where they want the ending to be. Mm. So that's why it's really hard for me to say, oh, I do this, I do that, because my client is really the one in the driver's seat. I'm just really there with, with Google Maps open, just trying to figure out and navigate how we can get to the end point. So... That's why it's kind of like I tailor it to each client because every client has a different end goal. Um, yeah.
0: I love that Google Maps. Yeah, that's so that's so cool. And um, I guess switching gears a little bit, right?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And talking, we've kind of went over a lot of different topics, you know, your, your school and your licenses and your best approach now. But what would you say, throughout your, your your career, but throughout your experience in school, what was some of the most challenging things you experienced as a student?
1: As a student? Um, ooh, that's a good question. My most challenging things as a student. Um, I guess it's really about figuring out what type of therapist that I want to be and really kind of just maybe allowing myself to have to go through the process versus you know um, sticking to being in the box Um, I think a lot of the times when you're in school you do what you're told and you do what you're taught Um, but I think if you allow yourself to kind of just be in the moment and experience things you're able to grow a little bit better and become more individual than just you know part of the group does that make sense it does. No, it, okay. it does.
0: And I feel like yeah. I can relate to that because, and I feel like a lot of our conversation has been kind of like, like figuring out your approach, figuring out like what works mm-hmm. better for you. And I can definitely relate to that because I, I have that in the back of my mind at all times. Like, I feel like I know what I want and it's like, okay, but then I'm, I'm introduced to a different topic or a different perspective. So then you're kind of mm-hmm. always trying to figure out like what is it that I actually like, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I would say that, school wasn't necessarily the struggle. I think for me the beginning phases of becoming a registered intern were more of a struggle for me than than you know being in school. And and that for me is because I feel like we are placed we're so undervalued in in this process and that for me just did not sit well and that for me is the reason why I had the struggle more with being a registered intern than with being a student. Um do you feel like it, that's changing now? Like this, this, this now, no, not at all. I think, I think it still exists. I I think, unfortunately, because to, I, I see it all the time. Like I go through like Facebook, I scroll just, you know, cause sometimes I'm looking like someone needs a therapist or referrals or anything like that. And I see it when, you know, licensed professionals talk about registered interns doing private practice or registered interns doing this and that and this approach of like we are lesser than now it just doesn't sit well with me because they were once in our shoes so like Mm. why is there so much like negativity about people that are going through the same journey that they went through and it just That was that's my second soapbox, Um, so I keep opening them up. Yeah, (laughs) it it doesn't sit well with me. I it I it bothers me, and even though like I'm licensed now, it's still something that's like we don't need to do that. Like it's just instead of let's build people up versus telling them like putting them in a in a corner and not you know valuing them for what they need to be valued for.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's true. I was gonna ask like, what do you think we can do? But you know to improve that but I think we just answer that you know just not putting people in the corner and valuing people more so
1: yeah yeah and I think it I think as registered interns also knowing the value is also important and now allowing other people to dictate your worth mm. um is important you know and I I've have had, i have bumped heads with licensed professionals I've you know people of status and I don't back down because I know I know my value. I know my worth. And I'm, you know, I'm not going to let anyone compromise that.
0: That's great. Yeah. I think that's, that's, we need more people like that. A hundred (laughs) percent. Good. And a lot of the times, like, and I say that because I, I see it too online, we feel that pressure of just accepting any job that comes to us. Yeah. And it's just like, because we feel like we just need the experience. We need the hours and it's just like, sometimes not a great fit you know?
1: It's not. And and that goes back to what I was saying earlier is that like, you know, because because people know that we're in such a struggle to get finished with the process, you know, we put them in their hands thinking that they're going to support us. And at times, you know, they place us at risk. I've, I have heard from countless interns who show up to jobs and their jobs get shut down because of like, you know, um, insurance scams and things like that. Like, these are things that can impact people long-term and, you know, it's really about figuring out what your best resources are and, and sticking to your value and worth is so important because you've devoted so much time and money and energy into the field. You want to make sure that you get the reward at the end.
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're a lot happier now that you're licensed. <laughs> you don't have to worry so yeah. much about these things.
1: Yeah it does help it does it does help yeah
0: yeah definitely if if you if you were to say what's uh now now that you're a licensed uh, marriage and family therapist what's been the mm-hmm. most rewarding thing for you then
1: um I think the most rewarding thing is just I just have a lot more freedom to like dictate my time and my hours because I don't have to worry about you know when someone going to be in the office so I can see clients, is the office even going to be open? It's like, I just have more availability to just stick to what I want to do for my time and then not have to worry about anyone else's schedule. So just having a little bit more freedom is like the biggest benefit that I've had.
0: Yeah, definitely. Especially as a, as a mother of two, right? You said two.
1: (laughs) I technically have three in my home. (laughs) Ah. So yeah, I, my, my, my family is, super important to me. And I've always told my husband that like during the year that I was unemployed, he would just say, well, why don't you just get a job? And I'm like, because I want to be home for my kids. You know, I'm Mm -hmm. not going to go, you know, be working till nine o'clock at night getting paid, I don't know, $20 an hour when I can be home, putting my kids to bed. I rather hustle hard in my practice and make, if I'm going to be, if I'm going to be out at nine o'clock at night, I want to be getting paid $150 an hour, like make it worth my time versus $20 an hour. So
0: um,
1: I'm glad I stuck to my guns because it's just like, yeah, I can't be out in the streets for that little pay, you
0: know? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. And that's and, and now that you bring this up, pay, hey, it's always a great topic. And I love asking yeah. everyone that comes on if we get to this topic, because sure. we we in school, I feel like, I don't even feel like they motivate us enough. And I, I don't speak this just from my school, I, I, from other people I've, I've spoken on a show or just people I connect right. with online. I feel like that we that we get this perspective that we are on an, a field that we cannot be successful money-wise, financially. Right. What do, you, what do you think about that now that you've been practicing as a licensed
1: provider? I think that's just I, – I don't think that's true. I think it's just – unfair to assume that we have to compromise our financial security because the system is wrong. You know what I mean? Like I going back to knowing my value and knowing my worth, you know, I think when I would say my rate as a registered intern in private practice to people that were licensed professionals, they would look at me like my rate was too high. And I'm like, no, I I do my trainings. I've done extensive trainings even after school. Like I do my work. Mm. So just because you've been in private practice two years longer than me, doesn't mean that you know more than I do. Not that I know more than you do, but I, you know, like I need to make money to be financially secure for my kids. um, And that's really none of your business. So um, yeah, I think knowing what your worth is and not compromising that on that is important. Um, Especially in private practice, don't reduce your fee just because you feel like you're a registered intern. You don't deserve that much. I think that's a misconception. Um, and in terms of work, I, I would turn down, Like again, I was employed for a year, a like, year's a long time, and I was still doing supervision that you have to pay for. Mm. Um, but I wasn't going, again, I wasn't going to take a job that wasn't going to pay me what I thought I deserved. Um, was it a big financial risk? A hundred percent. But at the end of the day, it was the best decision that I could make for myself.
0: Yeah, it feels like we, we take a, a step back, like you said, it's a financial risk, but it sets you up later.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think it's just, there's, there's just this thing with money and, and, and therapists that it just becomes an issue because you want to be able to help people. But if you can't help yourself because you're worried about bills and your car payments and things like that, you can't be present with your clients. So you know I mean? it's true. Like you got to put that mask on first before you can help anyone else. And it's not being greedy. It's not being selfish. It's just we're not looking for luxury. We're looking for stability. That's the difference. You know what I mean? So so yeah.
0: I love that. Well, luxury would be that, nice. The comparison yeah. you said about putting on the mask first, like if you're on a plane. <laughs> yeah, I, I love that. So true. Because like, how are you going to help someone if you feel constantly sad or depressed and tired? Because of your internal problems and your bills and your taking care of your family, like, how are you gonna do that? Like you can't. And yeah. somehow we're preached, you know, and we've learned from these people that's been in the field before. I don't know. And we we feel like, hey, you're this is not a career where you're gonna make a lot of money. And you know what? That might be true to some people, but not to everyone. I feel like me and you, Jessica, we're not everyone. <laughs>
1: And listen, it's, I provide sliding scale for clients. It's not that everyone has to pay my full fee, but even my sliding scale clients have boundaries and I, and I'm very upfront with them. I'm like, listen, I'm more than happy to help you, but I need you to come during the day. Like my evening hours are for those who can pay the full fee because they're more limited. So Mm. I still can be flexible and help people, but still have my own boundaries. And I can't teach clients about boundaries if I'm not holding my own. So it all goes back to I I'm I I don't want to be a hypocrite. Can I be a hypocrite sometimes? A hundred percent. But you know, <laughs> if I can control it, I'm gonna stick to my boundaries.
0: Yeah, I love yeah. that, and I never thought about that. Like just reserving the time for your specific clients that the ones that you you feel like will work better for you. It, it's you, and you still have other slots available for. For your sliding scale clients, like you said, so so you have yeah. options. You have options for everyone, but you have to have your your boundaries and provide yeah. the best times to those clients that you feel will benefit you as well to to make you happy. You know,
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So you're you're it's a both and approach. You can you can have it both ways. It's just yeah. You've got to know where your boundaries are.
0: A hundred percent. And talking about boundaries because, like, I'm it's crazy that we're talking about this now because i i'm currently finishing up my ethics class i'm sure you love okay. that one
1: <laughs> yeah i did i actually did love ethics i love ethics
0: yeah yeah the kind of topics we talk in there and i was just like oh and like i love that my professor like he instead of just like oh you shouldn't do this shouldn't do that he would he kind of makes it like a he would just throw in a question like how would you handle this situation and then everyone mm. is just like no one wants to answer they don't want to show their face
1: first yeah Yeah.
0: like uh how would you handle someone that like wants to do this to you or wants to do that like how would you handle that and then nobody knows how to answer all the students just sit back and and wait to see who's going to open their mouth first you know and when you when you talk about boundaries and i feel like that's one thing that's very vague on the um, on the manuals that we have you know it just says Mm -hmm. hey you should have boundaries and you shouldn't do this you shouldn't do that but it what what's what's the boundaries that a, a therapist need in order to be successful in their private practice? That's the, really the, the main question that I wanted to to, to understand.
1: <laughs> so there's there's multiple boundaries to have in private practice. The one that occurs obviously the most frequently is like cancellation. So if a client, if you have a cancellation policy, which I suggest everyone does, if a client late cancels on you for non-emergency reasons um creating that boundary of you know you you still have to pay for the session you know what I mean like having that conversation with clients of you know we we have a specific time you know I did everything I could to show up for you and if you cancel because you you know wanted to take a nap instead of coming to therapy like I need to hold my boundary and charge you for the session Mm. so that's one boundary um another boundary is the boundary of time like I have a set hour for you to come for session. And that's when we talk about things. If things occur outside of session and you want to talk about it, I, can, I give my clients a 15-minute quick phone call to check on it. But if it extends into a full-blown session, you're going to get charged for that time because I don't have that time to just willy-nilly give to people. So time is another thing that's super important. Um, access to me, which I guess goes back to time, is super important. Like don't text me you know, information that maybe we should be talking about in person. Mm. Um, because it's not only, it's not only a boundary because I don't have the time to go back and forth with you, but it's also protecting your privacy, you Mm. know? So it goes both ways. Um, and those, I mean, obviously like the ethical boundaries of like, you know, um, inappropriate things which have happened to me before. Um, but those are kind of the more common ones for private practice.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. Thank you for, for explaining that. So important because we all want to be successful. <laughs> we all have these high hopes as yeah. students, you know, and it's just like when you start getting into these courses and you I feel like you kind of get scared a little like, oh, man, like there's just so all these things I can't. I can't do this, I can't do that. And it just makes you wonder, you know?
1: <laughs> it's it's about like, I think the, the, the issue is is that boundaries seem so hard and rigid and therapists need to be empathetic and soft. So they're two opposing ideas. So it's kind of like, how can you be empathetic but also hold the boundary? But again, it's a conversation that I have with clients all the time. You can be helpful and supportive but it's also okay to say no, you know, know what your limit is and know what your what's worth your time because you can't always be there for other people because you need to be there for yourself. Yeah. So it's, it's it, everything's always a conversation.
0: I love that. I love that. Yeah, so important. Thank you. Um, I guess um, you know as we're getting towards the end, I, I definitely wanted to ask you a few more questions. Sure. And mostly mostly related, so your experience in private practice. Okay. What did you think as when you were a student?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So when you were still a student, what did you imagine your life will be like in private practice? And I say that because I am constantly imagining it.
1: <laughs> so I, so going back to ethics class, ethics class was my first semester and the professor, Dr. Guns, who I love and adore um she was talking about the concept of private practice who was gonna who thought they would be in private practice or whatever and I was like no like that I don't want the overhead I don't want the stress I don't want the responsibility so private practice for me was a hard no like I just didn't want the hassle of it because it is a lot of work it's not something where you Set it up and it's just successful. No, you have to be constantly working at your practice. And I always tell people who ask me about it, it's really 80% business and 20% therapy. So you mm. need to be prepared to do that 80% worth of work in order to be able to do the 20%. So it's not as easy as it seems, which is why I didn't want to do it to begin with, but it was the perfect option for me. Um, so Yeah. Had you had asked me my first semester, even up until the point where I got pregnant, I would have told you, I don't want to do private practice. I would never do private practice. It's not for me. It's disgusting. Stay six feet away. But it's just (laughs) it's just been the the best option for me. And it worked out perfectly.
0: Oh, that's I'm glad I asked that question. It's amazing how we change we make plans and they change and then we make more plans. uh, I love that. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. Like for me, it's the opposite. I'm like, I can't wait to be in my own private practice as a student, but it's so interesting that you said that I wasn't expecting that. So it completely did a 360 on you, your, your life, your life experiences and what happened in your life, becoming a mother, like you said, really changed everything for you.
1: Yeah. And that's kind of what parenthood does. It just, it shifts things and it it makes you think about things differently and being able to be there at home was just really important for me. Like I love my kids. They're like, sometimes I want to break from them. A lot of times I want to break from them, but I love them a lot. And that's not to say that I don't work late nights. I work, I actually work three late nights a week and the rest of the time I'm home early to pick them up. I take them to school every day. Um, and yeah, it just, it's, yeah, it it just changes everything for you.
0: At least it was the, it was the schedule that you created, like you're comfortable yeah. working at night. That's fine. And you know, there's a lot of clients that can only see, right. you know, therapists at night because they're working during the day. So it, it is important to have some, some, some days in the evening. So if you want to open up your, the range of clients that you want to see, so. But right. at least, hey, you know what? I, I work at night, but the next day, I know I can start a little later. I can go s- take my kids to school. Yep. And you're just like you're independent. And it's like you said, you're running your own business and you're doing your own thing. It's just very different.
1: Yeah, it is very different. Yeah. Okay.
0: All right. And then the last, last thing I <laughs> wanted to ask you your three tips that you would recommend anyone in the field of counseling or therapy. And they can be tips related to school or. Tips related to their career after school or as an intern, anything that you would recommend.
1: So I'm going to start with two tips because we've already talked about it. And I'll leave my third tip that we actually haven't talked about. So the the first tip is knowing your worth, not devaluing yourself just based on title. Um, I personally hate the title of registered intern. I actually created a petition to send to the board that I never did, but it's just so degrading the title of intern. Um, But just because you have that title, because you have no other choice doesn't mean you have to devalue your own work. So that's my tip number one. Um, My second tip is, you know, just be, you know, do what you like, how do I, how do I put this like eloquently, like try to be the best and authentic person that you can for yourself, because that's only going to make you a better therapist um, would Mm -hmm. be my second tip. Um, My third tip, because it's been crucial for me in my, my, my practice, my career is having the right people around you. My qualified supervisor, both of them were extremely important in my career. They've, they've helped me get to where I, I, where I am now. So, you know, I understand that having a qualified supervisor at times can cost money, but the value that a good supervisor can give you is so worth the financial investment. And, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be where where I am today if it wasn't for the resources and the people that I had around me.
0: So important, yeah. Thank you for that. I appreciate it. I'm sure other people will as well. Uh, Thank you for taking the time to speak with me today. And uh, before we do sign off, uh, please tell everyone where they can find you online or anywhere you want to share.
1: I'm actually trying to build up my Instagram followers. You can find me at, at... Cloud09 Therapy. Um Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. I think that's it. LinkedIn. But LinkedIn's really not that important. But just yeah, those, those those you can find me there. Yeah.
0: I love that name, Cloud9. I saw your email, uh, something like that. And I was like, oh, that's so cool. There's like a TV show that is Cloud9 too. I don't know if you ever watched I that, but that's like, a <laughs> different that's, that's, that's
1: <laughs> I every time I see it, my husband's like, You should trademark it. I'm like, it's just, let's just, let, let's just move on. Like, let's just keep going. It's fine. I love it. That's yeah. such a
0: unique name for, for, for therapy practice. I like that. So
1: yeah,
0: thank you, Jessica, again, for taking the time to speak with me. I've learned a lot, especially about yeah. private practice. And I, I is, you know, it makes, makes me excited for the future ahead. So thank you so much for, for speaking with me and I'm hoping that we can help other people as well out there. So thank you.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
0: You're welcome. We'll talk later. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you.